Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, have you already voted? More than 40 million Americans have, dramatically outpacing early voting in 2016. We'll get an update on how voting is going nationwide from NPR's Miles Parks, then president and founder of the nonpartisan California Voter Foundation, Kim Alexander, returns to answer your questions about voting, including using official ballot drop boxes, voting in person safely, and what to do if you've already filled out your mail-in ballot, but you think you made a mistake. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Nina Kim. Wisconsin began early voting yesterday. Monday was the first day of early voting across Florida. Monday also saw the U.S. Supreme Court deny a request by Pennsylvania Republicans to shorten the deadline for mail-in ballots to be received in the state. We get the national picture on voting from NPR's Miles Parks. Miles Parks, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Mina. Thanks for having me. So we've been seeing these images of long lines in states like Georgia and Texas. Can you give us a sense of how early voting is going nationally? Yeah, it kind of depends on who you ask. Obviously, if you ask one of those voters in Georgia or Texas who had to wait six or eight or 10 hours in line to vote, they are probably not thrilled with how it's going. But when you talk to voting experts who have been kind of modeling this out, how this election was going to look in the pandemic for the last few months, this is not that surprising. And if anything, there's actually a lot of you know good news, silver linings here. We've seen these lines on the first couple of days, but especially when you look at Georgia, the waiting times have really significantly gone down after those first couple of days uh, of early voting. Now, when you look at the online trackers, typically we're seeing lines, you know, less than an hour or 90 minutes in some cases. And that's that's common. You know, the first couple of days of early voting are the most common times. People who are really excited to vote kind of run out and get there. And then it kind of we hit a lull for a couple of weeks and then it picks up again closer to the election day. So the bottom line here, we're seeing kind of historic 
voter enthusiasm. Mm. This many people have never voted before an election at this this early. Uh, over 40 million people uh, have voted already. And so that's kind of leading a lot of analysts and people who kind of model this stuff out to think this is going to be a historic turnout election. And how's it breaking down by party? By party, uh, kind of predictably, Democrats definitely are not unhappy with how this is going. You know, a lot of this has to do with President Trump's rhetoric. He has been really dismissive, accusatory around mail-in voting, spouting off about um, potential fraud, even though there's no facts to back up a lot of his claims. Uh, that has led to Republicans in polling over the last few months saying they were much more likely to vote in person on Election Day than use some of the other early voting that is available to them because of the pandemic. You know, voting by mail has been expanded across the country. And so at this point, uh, Target Smart, who's a, a data firm that works mostly with Democratic candidates, their modeling shows more than 50 percent of the early votes at this point have been for Democrats, whereas less than 40 percent, somewhere around the 35 percent mark, have been for Republicans. So obviously that could shift getting close to Election Day as more states go to uh, allow in-person early voting to begin. Uh, there's definitely a less partisan shift there. But um, at this point, Democrats definitely have the advantage. Uh, there have been some scattered reports about voter intimidation. I'm wondering what you've heard and how big a problem that's been so far. I think at this point, it's been a little bit more bark than bite on the voter intimidation front. It's definitely something that when you talk to any voting rights experts, people who are um, looking at this election from a voting rights perspective, it's something people are really worried about. But we haven't seen it. Um, we've, we, we've seen, you know, those accusations from the Trump campaign trying to get, uh, you know, poll watchers into election spaces uh, in Pennsylvania. And we've seen a lot of talk about voter intimidation. I think it's something that people are really worried about looking ahead to election day, but it has not yet um, come to fruition in, in a huge way in early voting. Yes, there have been just some reports about things like rallies around ballot drop boxes or uh, some discomfort while waiting in lines uh, right. to do and early like, I, voting. I think, I think it's important. I think it's hard in those situations to kind of, and I think this is a voting issue more broadly than just the intimidation question of like, how do you separate the isolated, there are isolated incidents like you're, you're, you're speaking about. It's just a question of, it's really hard to, to isolate what's an isolated incident versus what's a you know systemic problem happening across the country. At this point, it seems like the intimidation question is something that's happening in these isolated incidents and isn't something we're seeing uh, you know, broadly across the spectrum. Again, we're talking with Miles Parks, a reporter covering voting and elections for NPR's Washington desk. He's giving us a quick update about the national picture. But if you have quick questions, you can always email them to forum at kqed.org or get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Miles Parks, how is voter confidence? I mean, overall, what are you hearing in terms of how people feel about the integrity of this election, given, as you say, so much rhetoric from the president? Uh, unfortunately, it's not it's not as good as most people would like it to be. Most election officials would like it to be. And that's for a number of reasons. You know, we've seen there was a big uh, Pew study that came out last week that showed uh, confidence in the integrity of the vote down about 20 percentage points from the same point uh, in 2018 when voters mm -hmm. were asked, basically, are you confident that this election is going to be safe from from interference of some some sort? Uh, voters were 20 percent less likely to say that's the case this year than they were two years ago. And 
you kind of see a diminishing confidence on both sides of the aisle from Republicans that's been led by President Trump's accusations about, about vote by mail specifically. You know, when you ask Republican voters, Trump supporters, whether they think vote by mail is going to be safe and whether it's going, whether vote by mail ballots are going to be counted correctly, they're just not very confident at all that that's going to be the case. On the other side of the aisle, uh, Democrats are really worried about suppression issues and they're really worried about the state of the postal service. There have been a lot of worries over the last couple of months because of those high profile hearings in Congress with the Postmaster General about, you know, election mail being delivered on time uh, and whether there would be some sort of political interference there. And so that's leading to this general feeling across the electorate that um, elections are just not as safe or foolproof as they were. And to be honest, this is a trend that's been going on, Mina, for like 20 years. Uh, since the 2000 election, when you talk to political scientists, we've seen this kind of slowly, I don't want to say decaying might be a little strong, but we've seen this slow decrease in American confidence in the kind of nuts and bolts of election administration since 2000. And it looks like 2020 is going to be the latest data point in that decline. Mm. Well, speaking about concerns about voter suppression, especially among Democrats, I mean, can you talk about the significance of the Supreme Court's decision on Pennsylvania denying Pennsylvania Republicans request to move up the date ballots need to be received from election day, November 3rd, to being received by November 6th. I mean, this is, of course, a really important swing state. Yeah, and this is an issue that Democratic lawyers have been focused on in a number of swing states. This question of when not necessarily must ballots be sent by, but when they should be received by. And right now in, in Pennsylvania, that the case that was being challenged was basically saying that uh, ballots that were postmarked by election day, but received to election officials three days after could still be counted as ballot votes. Uh, Republicans were hoping to have that deadline pushed up to where election officials would need to have the votes in the ballots in hand by election day. The Supreme Court in a four to four um decision decided not to rule on that. And so at this point, it looks like ballots that are postmarked by election day, uh, but received a couple of days afterward will still count. We know that this is a really big issue that can potentially decide a race. You know, uh, right. when, when you look at the amount of ballots every election year that don't count because they're arrived late, we're talking about tens of thousands of ballots. Uh, my colleague, Pam Fessler, did an analysis of just the primary this year and found that more than 500,000 ballots across the country didn't count for some reason, whether that was a signature issue or whether it was because they arrived late. And so in states like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, that were decided in 2016 by, you know, just a few tens of thousands of votes, little tweaks like that to the election rules can make a big difference. And in Pennsylvania, they cannot begin opening and, and processing mail-in ballots until Election Day, right? Right. At this point, then that's going to really, it could potentially really slow down the count. Um, you know, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan, again, these wow. are the three states because they they matter so much in the political landscape that we're going to be watching. But also from an election administration perspective, they have these pretty unique laws 
because they were not used to receiving as much mail as they're planning on receiving this time around, where in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, they can't open or process those ballots until election day in Michigan. They just passed a law that lets them let local election officials start the process 24 hours before that on the Monday before election day. But with how many tens of thousands of ballots they're going to be receiving, it is possible that election officials in these states are going to be still counting ballots for the days in the, in the couple of days after the election, Michigan, for instance, said they're probably not going to have an official or an unofficial tally of all the votes that they're receiving until the Friday after Election Day. The question is, that doesn't necessarily mean we, we won't know who is projected to win those states. It really depends on the margin of victory that we're seeing by either candidate, uh, whether those votes that are still to be counted make a difference on whether those races can be called. Well, this listener writes, I read news that the U.S. Postal Service is benching their police officers ahead of the election. Does that impact the security of mail-in voting in any way? Uh, could you read that question again? I'm sorry. Yeah, I read news that the U.S. Postal Service is benching their police officers ahead of the election. Does that impact the security of mail-in voting in any way? Had you heard I, about this, Miles Parks? I'm, I hadn't heard about this specifically. I do know that the security of mail ballots has been something that the U.S. Postal Service has gone on a huge kind of public campaign to say, again, that like there are these, because it's kind of a localized system where there are all of these kind of different things happening all over the country. They're saying that postal service, uh, um, excuse me, election mail is going to be their highest priority and that the security of it should not be in question. Basically, the amount of mail they process every day is so huge compared to the relatively few ballots. I know it seems like a lot when you talk about, you know, tens of millions of ballots, but the Postal Service has the capacity to deal with it. And they say the security is going to be their highest priority. They've been basically saying that they've had to do a huge public campaign about that because there were so many worries in August and September. Well, Miles Parks, we have about 30 seconds left with you and and just wondering what your messages have been around sort of managing expectations for election night. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, you know, we can hope for the best, hope we know a result on election night, but I think expectation-wise, expect a couple day it, it to take a couple days, and that's not uncommon. You know, it normally takes a couple days for election officials to actually count the ballots. The projections you see on election night have always been unofficial from media organizations, not from the election officials themselves, and so those projections might just take a little bit of time because of all the mail. Well, Miles Parks, thanks so much for giving us sort of a snapshot of how things are going nationally. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Mina. Miles Parks, a reporter covering voting and elections for NPR's Washington Desk. Stay with us as we talk voting in the 2020 election in California and take your questions with Kim Alexander. I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to Forum. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're joined now by Kim Alexander of the nonpartisan California Voter Foundation, who's been making regular appearances on our show for the past month or so to take your questions about how, where, and when to vote early. Some 4 million Californians have already voted, so she also has advice for tracking your ballot and what to do if you need to correct it. And to ask Kim Alexander your questions, you can call us at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. 
You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Kim Alexander, welcome back. Thank you, Mina. Happy to be here. You know, lately we've been hearing a lot of concerns about when will my vote be counted. Could you remind us the best resources for tracking your ballot and making sure it was received and counted? Yeah, we are we are hearing questions from voters about this right now. We do have a, a new service available for all voters across the state called Where's My Ballot? And anyone can sign up for that from the Secretary of State's website. Um, it's at whereresmyballot.sos.ca.gov. And um, when you sign up for that, it will give you notifications about the status of your ballot. Now, it doesn't work the way tracking on FedEx works. It doesn't tell you every single movement of your ballot. So some people put their ballots in drop boxes. Drop boxes at this stage of the election are generally picked up every few days, not every single day. And then the other thing we've learned about how ballot tracking is working is that the the county elections officials are not logging your ballot as received until they've actually received it, checked your signature, accepted your signature, and then they update their election management system, which pushes that message out to you. So that's why there's a bit of lag time between when uh. you may send your ballot in by mail or in a drop box and when you actually get notified that it's been received accepted and will be counted. So then relevant to this conversation, this listener asks, I mailed my ballot last week and used the ballot tracker tool to see that my ballot was received and quote, will be counted. Does that mean signature verification happened and it's all good to go? Or does signature verification occur later when the actual vote tallying happens and there's still a chance an issue could arise? That's a great question. And the way that it's working is that, yes, once you get that notification that it's been accepted and will be counted, you are good to go at that point. Um, the, the counties are required to contact you if your signature is missing or your signature does not sufficiently match your signature on file. So those are the notifications you want to keep an eye out for. And I really want to assure voters, I mean, I think we've done a good job. And I heard Miles Parks talking about this as well, you know, getting the message out about the, the potential for rejected ballots. And I know that people, especially people who listen to KQED are now, you know, hyper on hyper alert about this, which I'm, I'm glad for. But just to kind of put some numbers on it, on average, over the last 10 years in California, 1.7% of the ballots that uh, have been cast by mail have been rejected. And that is uh, the biggest reason why is because they're too late. And the biggest reason we found in Sacramento they were too late is because they were postmarked too late. So, you know, people who are getting their ballots in now, paying attention, you're in good shape. It's the people who are waiting to the last minute and and may unfortunately drop their their ballots into a mailbox on election day that has already been collected that I'm I'm worrying about that mm. we need to keep an eye out for. Well, let's talk about um, ballot drop off boxes because of course there's been a big controversy around uh, the state GOP using. Uh, what the state's calling unauthorized ballot drop boxes. So first of all, how can we ensure that we're using a legitimate official ballot drop box? Well, that's a good question. And up until last week, we didn't think we had to clarify this because there weren't unauthorized drop boxes out in circulation. And I'm not quite sure what the status of those those drop boxes are at this point. I know there's been some back and forth. Yes. Uh, for those who missed out on on the controversy, the California Repu Republican Party uh, placed a bunch of unauthorized ballot drop boxes in various locations, uh, churches, gun shops. These were not 
allowed for in law. And so the Secretary of State and Attorney General issued a cease and desist order. And they've since sent a letter back saying we will, you know, comply with these aspects of the law. And there's so there's been some back and forth. So it's left people wondering, you know, where is it safe to put my ballot? Um, authorized drop boxes will have the county seal on them. They will say property of such and such county. Um, you can go on your county website or Twitter feed and they've all been posting pictures of their drop boxes so you know what to look for. Generally, um, a lot of them are inside government buildings. So, you know, if you're walking your ballot inside a city hall or, um, you know, a, a library, then you can be assured that that is an official drop box. Some of them are external 24-hour drop boxes. Those generally are located, you know, at county election offices, right outside the county elections office. Those are also a very safe place to return your ballot. Well, let me go to caller Bradley in Foster City. Hi, Bradley. Hello, everyone. I just had a simple question. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, Just why is uh, such an important date not a national holiday? Like, it's crazy that we have to fit this in around work or people are, you know, we should have two days off and just stagger this. I mean, we're intelligent enough to have all registration of vehicles be rolling so that they're not all done in one month. Everybody registers their cars in different months. Yet this one thing that's so much more important, uh, you know, we have it once every four years. And I don't know, it just seems like such a mess. Why at least have two ho- national holidays. I don't understand why that's not uh, on a, on a ballot or, or a proposition or something. Anyway, that's my, my question. Bradley, thanks. Kim Alexander? That is a good question, and, and that has been suggested. I, I like that. It's interesting what Bradley said about the DMV and how that, that works. A lot of people are looking at this as election month and that the day of the election is actually the end of the election, not the beginning of it. Um, but a lot of people have not necessarily gotten that message. And so, you know, there has been talk over the years of moving voting uh, to uh, a national holiday. We did a, a study, a survey of voters and infrequent voters a number of years ago, asking if they'd be more or less likely to vote if it was a holiday. And we, we found about an even split. People, you know, might take off if it's a holiday and, and make a vacation out of it. So I think that, you know, what's important is this election, we're giving voters lots of options and we have early voting available all throughout the state. There are a number of counties that have consolidated their local polling places. So you may not have someplace as close to you to vote at on election day itself, but you can vote at other locations around your community in the days leading up to election day. And I think a great day for people who do want to vote in person is going to be Halloween, Saturday, October 31st. I think it'd be fun for people to put on costumes and take their kids and take their ballots in, walk them into a vote center or drop them off at an official drop box and you know, it's a good excuse to wear a mask that day. So uh, I think it could be a way to make it fun. I hadn't actually thought about that, but you're <laughs> right. Naturally, people would be in masks on Halloween if they're dressed up. And maybe, yes, they can have what feels like a festive Halloween, given everything that's happening with the pandemic. Uh, speaking of which, can you remind us the best ways to find out where and, and when early voting is available in your counties? Yeah, the uh, Secretary of State has a lookup tool on their website that provides all the official drop box locations and early voting opportunities. Um, Some counties will begin early voting this weekend, October 24th. Others will open it up the following weekend on the 31st. 
Most counties are also, well, every county is allowing voters to vote at the county election office as well. And some of them have other early voting sites open right now. So the best thing to do is to check your voter guide that was mailed to you by your county election office. And that will list all of the places where you can return your ballot. And then we have on our website at calvoter.org, we just put up a new map of the voting methods in all 58 counties. So you can go to our website and see whether your county is going to have in-person polling places that are in your neighborhood or consolidated polling places that are um, that may be a little further away, but open over several days. Well, Victoria writes, since all California voters will receive a mail-in ballot, if someone wants to vote in person instead, they need to bring the mail-in ballot. They're then given a new ballot to fill out. If they don't have the mail-in ballot with them, they're required to fill out a provisional ballot. This creates a big time delay for the poll worker, the voter, and everyone in line behind. It also increases the risk of mistakes. Can you talk about this requirement to bring your mail-in ballot uh, with you when you're voting if you want to vote in person yeah this is a great question and just a great example of how much attention kqed listeners pay to all these details so i really appreciate uh, this question and um generally you know the 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 catch-all answer across the state is bring your ballot with you if you want to vote in person and and turn it in and you'll be issued a regular ballot and not have to vote a vote by mail ballot But if you're in a county that has countywide voting or a Voters' Choice Act county, you can vote a regular ballot at your voting site, even if you don't have your your vote by mail ballot in hand. So it's not the same across all counties. Um, So, yes, you should bring your vote by mail ballot with you if you have it and you don't want to vote it and you want to vote an in-person ballot. But if you don't have it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you will have to cast a provisional ballot, but you may have to, depending on what your county is doing. And in that case, it will take a little bit longer. This is why we really want people to vote early if they can. If they do want to vote in person, take advantage of early voting Saturday, Sunday and Monday. You know, we also have same day conditional registration in California. And that means the millions of people who aren't currently registered to vote but eligible could show up on election day and want to vote in person. And that takes extra time filling out uh, that application as well. So uh, for people who just want to turn in their ballot in per- in person to a, a local voting site, I think that's kind of the best of both worlds because you have the satisfaction of knowing it's been received. You have a person who can look over your ballot envelope and make sure that uh, you've signed your envelope and you've dated your envelope before you deposit it in the box. So if you want to do that, you shouldn't have to wait in any lines that you should just be able to go and drop it directly in a box at your voting site. Again, we're taking your voting questions with Kim Alexander, president and founder of the California Voter Foundation. Do you plan on voting by mail or in person? If you've already voted, how did it go? Give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email us at forum at kqed.org. And uh, Virginia in San Jose, join us. Hi, Virginia. Hello. Hi, go right ahead. Um, There were two things I wanted to comment about, and one is that people do not need to vote on every single thing on the ballot in order for their ballot to be counted. My son has a mental disability, and he knows who he wants to vote for for president, but he doesn't understand about the propositions and stuff. But his vote will be counted if he just votes for the president, and that's all. And I think that some people may be hesitant to go and vote, when they don't understand all these propositions and things that are on the ballot. 
So that was one thing I wanted to say. And the other is about the postmarks. I have gone into the actual post office at times in the past to get something postmarked for that day. And the clerk behind the counter told me that, well, this isn't the official postmark. If we stamp it here, it has to go to the main post office before it gets the official postmark. And I would like clarification on that if they can answer anything about that. Uh, Virginia, thanks. So a couple things there. I don't know if you want to take the second first or what, Kim Alexander, but go right ahead. These are some of my favorite topics. So I appreciate Virginia bringing bringing these questions up. Um, on the on the second question about the postmark, what she's describing is, a, is what's called having your, your envelope hand canceled. And she may be correct that that's not technically a postmark, but what it is is evidence that your ballot was received and in the possession of the U.S. Postal Service by a certain date. So we would recommend for voters who do want to cast their ballot through the mail and have waited to the last minute, like on Monday or Tuesday to do it, to go into a post office and ask for that hand cancel on their on their ballot envelope just to make sure their county elections office can verify that they did get it to the post office in time. What we found in our study of, of rejected ballots that uh, we released a couple uh, last month um, was that um, the 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 counties uh, that have late ballots, a lot of them are are postmarked too late, and a lot of them have unreadable postmarks or are missing postmarks altogether. So that hand cancel can help counties verify that your ballot was received in time. Also, dating your signature, not just signing it, but dating it the date that you signed your ballot envelope under under penalty of perjury provides another backstop to make sure your ballot can still be counted, uh, even if the postmark is missing or unreadable. And on the other issue that uh, Virginia brought up, I'm so happy she mentioned this. I do think that people can be really intimidated by the length and complexity of our ballots in California. It's one of the reasons why, and I think last time I was on Mina, you played our our new song about the election um, that's on our website called The Voting Way. And one of our tips in in the song is you don't have to vote on everything. It's not a test. And I I 100% agree that voting can be very intimidating, particularly to young people and new voters and first-time voters. Um, People don't like to do things they feel they're not good at. And so it's really important we let people know Voting isn't a test. The important thing is to be a voter. Even if you just vote on one contest and nothing else, that's perfectly acceptable. Um, And if you know young people who maybe are thinking about voting and have never done it before, I really encourage you to reach out and give them a hand. They may not even know what questions they need to ask, but, you know, between filling out the ballot itself and then filling out your envelope and making sure you do it correctly. You know, what voting by mail does is shifts the responsibility for getting it right when we vote from the poll worker to the voter. And some voters are very experienced, but younger voters have less experience making signatures, less experience with the U.S. Postal Service. So they really need some extra help. and, And we hope your listeners can give that. Well, let me go next to Gustavo in Oakland. Hi, Gustavo. Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're on. So I had a question. I I received two ballots by mail, and I'm not sure why Mm -hmm. that happened, but uh, one of them has my name that I normally use, but when uh, I'm Latino, so I have two two last names. And so when I went to DMV to get my real ID, they forced me to use my second last name because it didn't appear the same. So now I have two ballots, and one of them has my 
one last name and the other one has the two last names. Which one do I turn in? Oh, Gustavo, thanks. That's a good question. And this does happen where uh, voters will be issued more than one ballot. And that is because in, in Gustavo's case, you know, the name is not matching. So the elections official may think that, you know, it's a, a father and son living at the same address that have similar names, which you often have happen with voters who are registered. I would advise Gustavo to send back um, the ballot that was that reflects your recent change through the DMV. That's the most updated record that your county has for you. And you could also mail back the other ballot envelope without your ballot in it and just say, this is a duplicate. Um, you could sign your name on the back and that will help your county elections office clean up your record and reduce your duplicate record. Oh, you know, interesting. Yeah. Uh, Gustavo, I hope that helped. Did you have a follow-up? No, just uh, so you said just return it empty and then with a note saying it's a duplicate. Yeah, I would write it on the outside, not not on the inside. I would send that envelope back. You could also call your county elections office and just tell them over the phone that they have you down for two two different uh, records. Um, this does happen. And just to emphasize, you know, people have been posting some pictures and images of these these situations that some voters have on on social media. And, you know, it, it can happen that someone has more than one ballot issued to them. That doesn't mean that they're allowed to vote twice. And it says very clearly on the ballot envelopes that voting more than once in an election is a crime. And so even though, you know, when that, those glitches happen, it may lead some people to think, aha, you know, there's evidence that, that people are getting to vote more than once. Um, it, it isn't happening. And, and voters generally either just recycle the, the extra one or hopefully take the extra effort to contact their elections office and help them update their record and make it correct. You know, we have actually another related question to ballot signatures from Laura saying, I filled out, she, Laura had received two ballots. I filled out one and signed it using the signature I use at the DMV. The day after mailing it, I went on, where's my ballot? And it said there was a problem with my signature. I called the registrar who said, since where's my ballot is an independent agency and could not be accurate, chances are everything will be okay. Should I be contacting someone else? I would invite that person to contact me. I would like to hear more about what happened there. Okay. Um, What's the best way to contact you? Uh, You can email me at kimalex at calvoter.org, and I'd be happy to follow up with you on that. Great. Well, we'll have more with Kim Alexander after the break. I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're joined now by Kim Alexander of the Nonpartisan California Voter Foundation. She's back with us by popular demand to answer your questions about voting. And the number 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. You can also reach us at Twitter and on Facebook at KQED Forum. Email us at forum at kqbd.org. And let me go straight to Calls Ragu in Pleasanton. Hi, Ragu. Hello. Uh, my question is with regards to a name change. My wife uh, did an official name change uh, with with uh, the Alameda County and with the for her voter registration, and she received a ballot with her old name on it. Is it legal for her to use that because she's not received a, an updated ballot? Mm, thanks, Kim. Oh, that's a hard question. Um, it, it probably depends on when the name change took. Took place. The counties generally queue up all of their ballots to mail out and um, get those ready to go, starting like around Labor Day. So, 
if the name change happened after that, they would have issued the ballot that was already in the queue. I would con- I would contact the Alameda County Registrar of Voters Office and ask them to advise you what to do in that situation. That's a tough one. Hmm. Would you give this listener, Matt, the same advice? Matt writes, I had to re-register because I was registered under my shortened name instead of my full name and was afraid that it would cause issues. Unfortunately, my ballot arrived the day I re-registered and I still haven't received my new one. It's been about a week. What should I do? Well, I would wait to see if your new ballot turns up. Um, so, and if it doesn't, um, you could take the one that you were issued to a uh, voting location and turn it in and get a new ballot issued to you there or take it to your county elections office or call your registrar of voters. I mean, that's often, you know, when we get to these really uh, tricky situations. There's not like a one size fits all answer and every county might have different advice. Some might say, go ahead and use that ballot. And some might say, let us issue you a new ballot. So I would advise them to contact their county. We have on our website a directory of all the county elections offices and their contact information by phone, email, their street addresses. So you can come to calvoter.org and and find your county, you know, the best way for you to contact your county. We're getting a couple questions here about when ballots are counted, depending on which way you vote. So Audrey asks, what are the different types of ballots? When are the different types of ballots counted and reported? Will an early in-person ballot be counted earlier? And this listener writes, I always vote in person in the morning. How much of a difference will that make in the count? These are also great questions, and I'm glad we came back to the the, the vote counting process because we, we talked about that earlier in the segment. And, you know, just to make clear, um, counties are able to process ballots and get them prepared to count uh, all the way through and are doing that now all the way up to election day. So what that involves is checking your signature, verifying your signature, um, extracting the ballot from the envelope. If if you made a mistake and you filled out a choice and you exited out and filled out another choice, they will remake ballots in teams of two to uh, uh, create a, a new ballot for you that is a faithful representation of your choices so that it can be scanned. If there's ballots that got torn on, in the mail on the way in, they'll remake those ballots so they can be scanned. They get them all stacked up and ready to go. And then as soon as the polls close on election night, the early arriving vote by mail ballots that have already been processed um, are the ones that uh, will get counted first. So when you go to the Secretary of State's website and you start looking for election returns at 8.01 p.m., Generally, it's going to be the ballots that have been received up until the Friday before the election. That will be the first wave of ballots that get counted. The next wave of ballots that get counted are the ballots that arrive uh, from polling places that are voted on election days, in-person ballots. They don't need to have the signatures verified. There's no remaking or checking. Many of them have been scanned already at voting sites and are it's just a matter of porting that data into the the central tabulation system. Um, and then the last wave of ballots that get counted are what I call the, the late arriving vote by mail ballots, the ones that come in the weekend before the election and the ones that are returned to uh, voting sites on election day. And then all of the ballots that come in after election day that are postmarked by election day, those still get counted too. And so that generally is is the big wad of ballots that the counties are struggling with in, in the in the days and weeks after election day and why it takes so long for results to be counted. Um, so so what we saw, for example, in March, we had nine point seven million voters in the March primary. 
Um, by the day after the election, there were, I think, 5.3 million ballots counted. So a little more than half the ballots by the day after the election had been counted and reported, but there were still almost almost as many remaining to be counted. So we're hoping this election, we're going to be able to to spread it out. And that's why I think people are really happy to see this strong rate of early return vote by mail ballots. You know, you mentioned earlier in the segment, over 4 million ballots have already been turned in. um, And that's going to give election officials more time to spread out this workload and, and get those ballots processed early so we can uh, speed up the vote count. I, I do think, though, we're going to we're going to have an idea, not just in California, but nationwide as well, about how the presidential election may turn out based not only on the margin of, of difference in, in swing states, but also on exit polls and what the turnout rate is on Election Day and uh, what the demographics are of the people who are turning out, particularly in swing states. So um, I do think that we will have some ideas, but we are cautioning people to be patient. Uh, we're going to really need uh, people to be supportive of election officials now more than ever. They're doing a really challenging task. They're suffering through COVID as well and in the middle of a pandemic as well, trying to you know pro- provide safe voting options for all of us. And for the, the listener who said she votes early you know, on election day, that's a good way to go too. I mean, it Generally, the earlier you can get to your voting site on election day, the better if you are planning to vote on election day. If you wait till the afternoon, you're much more likely to encounter long lines, especially with social distancing and people needing to stand six feet apart. Yeah, well, to this point, Mary or Mari writes, those of us who are working the polls are going to be working a long, exhausting day. We won't be able to leave the polls or take time to go out and get food. If you're able to offer your poll workers... Uh, if you're able to offer your poll workers to call in a pizza delivery or get sandwiches in a COVID safe way, it makes a huge difference to us. You know, I think it's important to note, Kim, that the state has basically decided that if you do not wear a mask uh, when you come in to vote, that you would not be denied the ability to vote. They decided that they wanted to avoid you know, any dramas around mask wearing. But uh, can you talk a little bit about how counties are, are trying to deal with this provision that they basically need to allow every voter uh, to be able to vote even if they are not necessarily following the state's guidelines? Yeah, it's gonna be challenging for sure. Um, nobody will be turned away for not wearing a mask there will be masks available at all voting sites and all voters will be encouraged to wear them if someone refuses to wear a mask and and wants to vote without a mask on inside a voting site um, my understanding at least in my own county is that they're going to have to clear out that site and and make sure there are no other voters in that site when that person is voting so um, it could be extremely disruptive um, especially in, in large indoor voting sites like arenas and places like that if people come in uh, and and refuse to wear masks. So um, it's, you know, one of the things that that I think a lot of election staff are, are concerned about, understandably, you know, nobody wants to put their health at risk for the sake of facilitating other people's right to vote. Um, but we live in a big state with lots of different points of view. And so we're going to try to accommodate all those. And again, People who have people who are are vulnerable to COVID have risks. They should not be planning to vote on election day. I mean, masks or no masks, people are going to be waiting in long lines, uh, especially in the afternoon in, in in counties that have consolidated voting sites and vote centers. I mean, one of the 
disadvantages of, of, of vote centers is that you never know where the traffic is going to be. And so you could end up at a site that's very popular and have a long wait time. And, and you could always go to another site, but sometimes people will just park themselves. You know, I'm encouraging people to bring water, bring snacks. If you're going to go on election day in the afternoon, maybe bring a chair, um, you know, bring a book, <laughs> you know, you, you may be waiting a little while. Well, let me go next to caller Ed in Pleasanton. Hi, Ed. Hi, Ed. Are you there? Well, while we try to connect with Ed, Valerie asks, can I check the signature I used when registering to vote? Sometimes I use initials for my first and middle names, and sometimes I sign with full names. This comes up a lot, Kim Alexander. How can Valerie check? Yeah, this is a very popular question. And the advice that we always give is if you're not sure what your voter registration signature looks like, and many of us aren't because maybe we registered a long time ago, we advise voters to make their signature on their envelope look like their signature on their driver's license or state ID. Because if you ever registered online or through the DMV or had your registration updated through the DMV, that becomes your voter registration signature. So you can model your ballot envelope signature uh, after that, there is no easy way for people to check their registration signature. It is confidential. Um, you'd have to contact your county elections office to find out how to go about doing that. This is another good reason to sign up for for ballot tracking. Uh, we have on our website a section called uh, Online Voter Tools Check Your Status, and you can you can get to all of the uh, official lookup tools through our jump page there and check, for example, your last vote by mail ballot to make sure that it was counted if you're not sure if your signatures is being accepted or not. Um, some good news, two, two pieces of good news about this question. Number one, um, if you use initials, you know, or part of your name and not your full name, the same way you had signed, your ballot will still be counted. That's part of, uh, that's a statute in California, so you're covered there. And if your signature is missing or is found to not sufficiently match your voter registration signature on file, your county is required to contact you by mail and provide you with a, a form to sign that you can send in and get your signature fixed. It's called being uh, curing your signature. And our study, we, we conducted in three counties, San Mateo, Santa Clara, and Sacramento 2018 election, we found uh, a little more than half of the voters on average did respond to those mailings and got their signatures corrected and their ballots counted. So we are seeing, you know, some good effectiveness with that outreach. And um, that that curing process, signature curing process will take place the weeks after the election. If you get your ballot in on time, but your signature is challenged, you can still have it corrected even after Election Day. Well, Louise writes, my husband and I filled out our ballots. When we were done, I grabbed an envelope without looking, put my ballot in and signed my name. Then I realized that I'd put my ballot in his envelope. I took my ballot out, put it in my envelope, sealed it and signed it. He put his ballot in his envelope and signed over my signature. Now we're worried that his ballot won't be counted. Um, as long as this, this is a great question, and this happens all the time, yes. um, you know, people, and this is one of our tips is don't mix up your ballot materials with other people in your household's ballot materials because your ballot envelope is an identification envelope and it's uniquely coded to each individual voter. So um, the good news is that we have new state regulations in place and one of the requirements in them is that counties must strive to uh, what's called Marriott ballot envelopes with their correct envelopes if that does happen. Um, they often, they're very quick to, to deduce that 
you know, oh, here's, here's a, you know, so-and-so signature on their spouse's envelope. They look for the, the other envelope to come in from the other spouse. And then they, they uh, marry up those envelopes and, and, and count both those ballots. As long as her husband's signature is legible on the outside of the envelope, I don't think there's anything to worry about, but you know, another good reason to sign up for ballot tracking, and then she can have peace of mind that their ballots are getting counted. We're talking about voting in the 2020 election and taking your questions with Kim Alexander, president and founder of the California Voter Foundation. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to Matthew in Santa Maria. Hi, Matthew. Hey, good morning. Good morning. What's on your mind? This information is needed. You need to repeat this several times. It's a wonderful (laughs) show. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. Uh, My question is, uh, I am an absentee voter for over 21 years. And um, um, although it may be a silly question, because, yes, I know there's reasons we need ballot boxes. I understand there's reasons for it. But why not just put it in the U.S. Postal Service mailbox? I don't understand. No offense. Uh, No, Matthew, thanks. I mean... You know, we had concerns with the Postal Service first. Now, recently, this controversy has around the GOP's ballot drop boxes has created some concern around drop boxes. I mean, what what are your thoughts on Matthew's point? That is a good point. And thank you, Matthew, for your nice feedback on the show and for being a, a voter for 21 years by vote by mail. Um, vote by mail ballots are predominantly returned through the U.S. mail. And, and a lot of people think, oh, it's a vote by mail ballot, so I guess I should return it through the mail. Um, but we do, we did find in our study that virtually all the ballots that, so first of all, the number one reason vote by mail ballots get rejected is because they're too late to count. And virtually all the ballots that are rejected for being too late are coming through the U.S. mail. So if you don't want your ballot to be rejected, you need, you need to mail it early, um, or return it in person to a, a drop off box or voting site. So I think it's just, you know, people have a variety of options to turn in their ballots and people should use whatever works best for them. Um, The good news is that we have free postage paid uh, vote by mail return envelopes. So you don't have to look for a stamp anymore or uh, try to figure out um, how much postage you need to put on your envelope that there's no mystery there. Um, But I, I do think it's important this election, especially to give voters choices. And a lot of people, you know, they want the satisfaction of putting their ballot directly in in a, a drop box that is going to be collected by their elections office with no you know no no one involved else involved in that transaction. I'm hearing reports from election officials that you know voters don't even want to put them in the drop boxes outside their offices. They want to walk them in and hand them to a staff person and yeah. look them in the eye and make sure that they take their ballot. So I mean, there's there's ways for everybody who wants to vote that they feel comfortable with. Well, that sounds like what this listener April does. April writes, I always take my and my husband's ballots to the county registrar of voters office and ask them to confirm that the back of the envelope is filled out correctly. I then drop the ballots into the ballot box there. Voters can also pick up a ballot there and vote directly at the registrar of voters office. Sort of related to this is this other listener's point. This listener writes, are all the registrars prepared for and handling the uptick in anxiety around making sure ballots are counted and signatures are correct, etc. Seeing the record voter turnout, I imagine there's record inquiries. Wondering if our behind-the-scenes voting infrastructure is handling it? That's a good question. And like I said earlier, these folks are, I mean, you know, they were counting ballots when COVID first came on the scene and, and were dealing with, you know, staff who are getting sick from COVID like other people were. And so I know some of the counties are struggling. I mean, they some of them are still looking for election staff. 
Um, and it can be a very thankless task. And it's why it's really important to express your gratitude to your election staffers and your county elections officers, because they are um, working very hard. I mean, one thing I think people don't realize is people care a lot about elections very intensely for a very limited amount of time. And then we stop thinking about it, which is unfortunate because I think about elections all the time. But um, one of the things that we need to we need to do to make elections work better and make sure that the, the expectations that voters have can be met is to make sure that the election sector is is robustly funded. County elections offices often are really struggling with funding this year because of the CARES Act. Many of them have extra resources, um, but they are you know chronically underfunded compared to other county government services like fire and sheriff departments it's not necessarily you know the the sexy kind of thing that we try we see you know supervisors and and constituents fighting for and the same is true in the charitable sector groups like california voter foundation and league of women voters and Maplight. there's all these organizations that are working hard to help voters and they need support too well uh Lida writes about getting food to polling places. I just heard about the service polls.pizza who delivers free food to polling places with long lines. Uh, and Nancy and Venetia writes, thank you, Kim. So tireless, such a great resource. Yes, thank you, Kim Alexander, for coming back and we'll have you back again. Really appreciate it. Anytime, thank you. Kim Alexander, president and founder of the California Voter Foundation. Thanks to Ariana Prail and Jameson Weiss for producing today's segments. I'm Nina Kim, this is Forum. Thanks for listening. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.